Real quick, as we get started, I want to say something to me. Where is this guy going? Uh, just, just think for, with me for a moment. Have you ever in your life, have you ever thought as a Christian, hey, what I believe is uh, it's a little weird. Have you ever, it's okay if you have. Have you, you ever felt foolish about like, what you believe? Never felt that way. Non-Christians, if you're in here, you're like, they are fools, and they sound like it, they look like it, they talk like it. I mean, listen, just, just for a minute, just bear with me. Like, you, we believe that Jesus was uh, God. A man was God. We believe he was born of a virgin. Not possible. We believe that he uh, lived a sinless life. Then he died in the place of others, in our place for our sins, and then after being dead, he was raised from the dead. We believe then he has then ascended into heaven. We believe he now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We believe he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. To, to, a, to a non-Christian world, this sounds foolish. If you think about it, just for a moment, if someone shows up and says, Hey, I'm a guy born of a virgin and I'm God. Like, you're just like, this guy's, this guy's crazy. The reason why you don't think it is crazy, and some of you are offended that I said that this was kind of foolish, it's because you believe that it is the, the power of God, that the gospel, what I just described, Jesus dying in our place for our sins, is the power of God, which is exactly what our text describes today. Uh, and so if you need a Bible, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses um, 18 through the end of the chapter. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, it's our gift to you. If you're a guest with us, thank you. Welcome for being here. Uh, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Cross of Christ, first thing we're looking at, the cross of Christ is either foolishness or power. Foolishness or power. If you think about it in, worldly, in a worldly sense, it sounds foolish. And it says it this way, Paul says to the church, this church who's been, been, been pretty wild, pretty crazy, this young, uh, urban, Christian church in Corinth, about 50 to 80 people, uh, they're, they're starting, they're beginning, the movement hasn't really exploded in this area yet, but it's happening. And he tells them this, because some of them are like, hey, I just became a Christian, and my friends, non-Christian friends, think, so, think I'm crazy. They think I'm just nuts. And I actually thought Christians were nuts too. Some of you, that's your story, right? You were not a Christian when you came here the first time. You're like, those guys, I don't believe in what they say. I just don't believe. That just sounds foolish. And so he says it this way. In verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness. That's what the word means. To those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Two groups. The cross is foolishness. The cross is power. Which one are you in? Which one are you in? The cross is foolishness or power. For, for those who are being saved, right, it says that it's the power of God, but, it, for, but for those who are perishing, for those who are perishing, those who don't know Jesus, don't love Jesus, who are walking away from Jesus, rebelling from Jesus, they're like, man, this, this whole gospel thing is, is foolishness. If you're a guest with us and you hear babies crying, praise the Lord that they're alive. That's what we do. We, we rejoice in babies. We love it. And so uh, the noise doesn't bother me. What bothers me is uh, anyone who'd be bothered by that. So there you go. Uh, here we go. And so... Two, two groups, foolishness and power. Two gr- foolishness and power. What is the, is the cross of Christ foolishness or powerful to you? Those who would see that the cross is foolishness or folly are, are likely because they're self-righteous. They think that they don't need someone to stand in their place for their sins. They can figure it out on their own. Think about any radical or religious person, especially a religious uh, Muslim or, or a religious, uh, even a religious atheist who thinks, you know, they, 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 that's their religion. They, they don't believe in them. Um, so they're just dogmatic in there. They're just, man, this is what I believe in. No one's going to change my mind. 
Uh, they, they, they believe that they are righteous based upon their wisdom, on their good deeds, on the stuff that they do, their sacrifices, the sacraments, whatever the, the stuff they do. They believe that they are made right with God or, or in this world by what they do. They are self-declared, self-righteous. Therefore, if you tell them that you are not righteous, that you are sinful, and you need a Savior, and it can't come from you, it has to come from God, that means you're wrong, he's right. That's offensive. It's foolishness to them. They're like, I've constructed my whole life. Some of you, that may be you. I do all these things. do all these good things. Some of you, even Christians, feel this way. I go to church. I tithe. I give. I serve. Surely God loves me. Surely I've proven myself worthy of God. And then you hear, you missed it. Wrong you can't earn God's love. You can't make yourself righteous. You're hearing the gospel. Man, this sounds, this sounds contradictory to what I, I've built my life upon. And you're right, it is. And so if you, what about if you're rebellious? You're just rebelling against God. I don't need God. I don't love God. I'm actually smarter than God. See, I don't even need him. All those people, you know, way back in the day, you know, those, you know, when they didn't have anything, they didn't have technology, when they were, you know, hunters, gatherers, they needed a God. But I'm so advanced in my wisdom and my knowledge and my age in this time that, that I don't need God. This, this whole God dying for us seems foolish. And some of you, that's where you were. And then one day Jesus saved you. And you're like, I, don't, I was in the Jesus is a fool camp. And now I'm like, I'm a fool camp. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm one of them. Like I'm aware, those of you who are aware of your sin... Those of you who are aware of your need of a Savior, you're going, no, the gospel is not foolishness, Al. It is, it is the power of God. It has saved me. It has transformed me. I was, I, I was riddled with guilt and shame and, and just depression because of what I had done and because of what had been done against me. And my whole life, I, I built my identity around those things. And then Jesus came in and he rescued me. He saved me. He transformed me. And what sounds like foolishness to the world is really the power of God to me. That's what it means to be a Christian. What's more foolish to me than, than the self-righteous or the, the rebellious, what's more foolish to me are, are Christians who claim to believe in Jesus and they hear the gospel of Jesus week in and way and week in and week out, and they're not moved by it. That's astonishing to me. That you could hear the gospel, the power of God, week in and week out, and not be in awe, not marvel at it. So if that's you, you're a Christian and you've been walking with Jesus for a while, and you hear the gospel, and you're like, Yeah, I got that one. Let's move on to the next point. You might be the biggest fool in here who claim to know God, but have emptied the cross of its power by believing that there's something to add to the gospel, something to add to Christ to be more fulfilled, more satisfied, more in all. And I love the gospel. I need the gospel. Daily, I need it. If you don't, if you don't find yourself in need of recalling and remembering the gospel that Jesus died in your place for your sins, that means that your sin, your past sin, your present sin, your future sin, they, they have been covered by the blood of Jesus and you can cling to the cross. And it's likely that one, you, you are, it's likely in today's age, you're just going through life unwilling to, 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 you're just distracting yourself with entertainment, social media, whatever it is, to just keep yourself from thinking about the frailty and reality that you are human. 
and that you sin and you fall short. So you drown out the, the, the voices in your head because you don't want to hear that, you know, uh, you don't want to think about your sin. You don't want to think about ways in which uh, Jesus might be trying to conform you. You don't want to think about where in the scriptures that you may be wrong and that, that God is right and you gotta, you got to submit to him. So you just go through life. Just, I got Jesus and I'm good. I'm telling you, the, be- the, the better life is to cling to the gospel, to be aware of your, 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 your need for mercy and grace. And so this is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God, the cross of Christ. And he says it in verse 19. He says, he says God says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the this discerning I will thwart. This is referencing uh, Isaiah 29, 14, Job 5, 12 through 13, Jeremiah 8, 9, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. This is repeated throughout the scriptures that God is going to do this. To take what is foolishness in the world and save men and women through it. The very gospel we believe. And so in the, in the, the, the Corinthians, they were, they were influenced in a very similar way America has been influenced. You heard of you know, Plato, Socrates, uh, Aristotle, you know, the Greek philosophers. Well, the Corinthians were studied in it. Some of you are like, I heard those names. I didn't know they were philosophers. I didn't know anything about those, those things. I didn't know that they are Greek. You, you need to know that you were influenced by them. The entire Western civilization and Western thought have been shaped by these three, three, these three men and their, their thoughts. And so what, what, what has happened, the Corinthians, they, they are wise according to the, the, the ways of the world, to the age. Humans are wise. I need you to understand this. Humans are very sharp. They're very wise. They were literally made, we were made in the image of God. But that image has been marred because of sin. And Romans 1 tells us that we have suppressed the truth about God in unrighteousness. And we've chosen to worship man and, and man-made things than the God who created man. So sometimes we can get so philosophical, so ideological, so smart that we think that we don't need God. And we build, we build civilizations that, that, are, that are rebellious against the God who made them and don't submit to him. Even though we, we use the, the Aristotelian logic, that's how Paul actually argues to the Corinthians in a very logical way. Though we do it, we, we, we attribute our logic to, to not to God, but to man, to education, to your upbringing, your background. When we do that and we, and we suppress the truth about who God is, we become fools. And that's what he's telling the Corinthians. Some of you think the gospel is foolish. That's because you're the real fool. That's what he's saying. He continues and says, how, how does one come to know God? How does one come to know God? Great question, right? Great question. If we've been, we've been suppressing the truth and unrighteousness in our hearts, how do we, how do we get there? How do we know God? How, do we, how, how did God use this foolishness to, to shame the wise? What, what's going on here? What is he getting at? What is the point? He says, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? He's saying, where are the philosophers? Where are the authors, America? Where, where, where are the, the, the podcasts? What are you listening to? What are the podcasts? What are your YouTube channels? Like, where are those who, those who are putting on debates? Like, where are they in this age? They think they are smart, and they think God is dumb, but God has usurped them. That's what he says. Has not, he continues, says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The answer, yes. See, when you take the brain God has given you, the mind that God has given you, and the life that God has given you, the skills, the time, the talent, the treasure that God has given you, and you suppress the truth, 
and you worship created things, you worship man, you worship yourself, you, you, you worship anything other than God, he's saying you've become the fool. That's the real, like the, God is, has taken the wisdom of the world and he's, he's, he's shamed it. He's put it open to shame. He's made it look foolish through the thing that the world calls foolish, the gospel. That's what he says. Is, so, so real quick, is God against wisdom? No. The answer is no. Like he's not against wisdom. I'm not knocking wisdom. But I'm saying since the fall, since mankind rebelled against God, wisdom has been distorted. Uh, and you have worldly wisdom, the ways of the world, and then you have God's wisdom. God's word, will, and ways as revealed through the scriptures. The scriptures testify. The scriptures reveal the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. And so the world's wisdom is, not, is on a spectrum. God's isn't. The world's wisdom is, uh, it changes from every day, every age. Like It evolves with the times. The world's wisdom evolves. God does not evolve. He does not change. The scriptures say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And throughout human history, there have been times where humans, we even saw this in Genesis, when they thought they were better than God, and they thought they could you know, outsmart God and outlive God and out, outgrow God and have built, build a bigger city and better city than God. God comes in and he, he confuses them. Humans are not evolving. We're not evolving in the way that we think we are. Not when it comes to what, what, the wisdom of God. So the world's wisdom, we redefine truth. That's where we're currently at. Truth is re- relative on a spectrum. Uh, the, the way the world's wisdom is we don't need God. We need science, as if science and God were separated. See, this is the way uh, the, the world's wisdom is, is, at the end of the day, the world's wisdom always rejects God. Verse 21, he says, For since the wisdom of God, since in the wisdom of, the, of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God. This is what made God really happy. He got real pumped about it, real excited. This is what he did. Through the folly or through foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. That's it. So you can know God. You can't know God through wisdom. Y'all don't worry about what's going on back there. Pay attention. If you're distracted, grow up. It's okay. Like, I get it, but this is our, we live in a distracted world, and I get it, it is, whatever. Let's focus in on it. It's likely that God's speaking to you, and you're going you're gonna to miss it. And so you can't know God's wisdom, or you, so you can't know God through world, the world's wisdom, that's the point. You can't know the world, God through the world's wisdom. He says it this way, the, the world did not know God through wisdom. You cannot know God through the wisdom of the world. You can't. You can't. Sin separated us from God. It literally rewired our thinking. Sin rewired our thoughts. Sin rewired our pursuits. Sin changed everything by the way we think, the way we live. We became sinners by nature, meaning we inherited it from our father Adam. And then we became sinners by choice, meaning we willfully continued in the rebellion against God. We, 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 we rejected God and we continued down that path, nature and choice. So how can we know God? How can, we, how can we know him if, if we've been, our minds have been marred, our, our hearts have been, have been blinded, and we've been in rebellion? And you can't know God through wisdom. We're like, all right, how do I, how do I get there? The Corinthians got to be asking this. All right, so we, we went to school, we went to college, we got an education, we did all these good things. We're good, moral, upright people. Like, isn't that enough? He's saying it pleased God through the folly, 
through the cross, as we mentioned earlier, uh, of what they preached to, to save and believe. The preaching of Jesus dying in our place for our sins is what has the power to save. The point here is that how do we know God? God must intervene. God must intervene. God must intervene. This is the gospel. Jesus intervened. He came to earth. God, the God-man, the Son, put on human flesh and bones, was born through Mary, a virgin. And he lived in our place a sinless life. He came on a rescue mission to save that which was lost. That's you and I. He came to rescue us, to buy us back, to redeem us. To, to, to capture us, to recapture us because we had been captured by sin. We had been captured by lies. Our hearts were deceived. Our minds were seared. We had suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and were rebelling against God. And Jesus intervened. How does one come to know God? Jesus must intervene. Jesus must come. The gospel, we must hear it. We must hear what I have just said, and we believe it, that Jesus came to save, to forgive me. Do you believe that? Are you still skeptical about that? Romans 1, 16 says that it is the gospel, the person and work of Jesus, what I just said clearly and emphatically, and I will continue to repeat, it is that that has the power to save. He says, first for the Jew, and also for the Greek, it is the gospel, the good news about the person and work of Jesus that has power to save. Not me, plus the gospel. Not you coming over to my house and me give, sharing a great meal, though that's awesome and good, shows hospitality and may break down some barriers for you to hear the gospel. But it's the gospel that has the power to save. It's the only thing that can save someone. And it's just news. You're just telling the news. It's like someone who comes to you and says, hey, I just read an article, and here's the news. You don't, you just tell them it. Like, a, you just, you don't, this is the news. Someone so just got married. It's the news. They, it happened. You, you don't walk, you're all right, did they, someone could walk away and go, I just don't believe that. I really don't believe that that person got married. I don't believe it. I just was at a, a college friend of mine's wedding. You know, like some, you know, maybe I call a friend from co- another friend from college and say, hey, so-and-so got married. Like, I just don't believe it. I, I don't care if they believe that. I was there. I saw it. I bear witness to it. It happened. Like, no, I just don't believe it. I'm not going to sit and argue with it. I just don't, like, cool, man. That's weird that you don't believe me about this guy's wedding. Cool. I share the gospel. You don't believe it. I, that's it's not cool for your salvation and your eternal life, and I want to plead with you to believe, but I can't wake dead people. I cannot open blind hearts. I cannot take what, what is, is rebelling and redeem it and buy it back. I can only speak and tell of the one who has and trusts the power of the gospel to save. And in Romans 10, 17, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ, which is why we preach, why we open our mouths. You can't just love someone to Jesus. It's not a thing. You can't just do a bunch of good deeds for someone and all of a sudden, like, that's how they got saved. No. You have to open your mouth. Write it down. Send an email, text message, whatever. You got, they got to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. And what God does in the, the sharing of the gospel, he does something supernatural. 
He brings about salvation through, the, the, through the, the preaching and spreading of the gospel. So one day someone is like, man, the gospel, I keep hearing it, it's foolishness. Then one day they're going, how did I not see that? Like, were you saying that every week? I just feel like you just said it that week. Like I, I, that's how it was for me. When you just one day you just you're like, wow! I, it feels like I believe this thing the whole time. God changes our hearts, changes our minds, takes what was foolish and brings, and then allows it to us to see it as it rightly is something glorious. Sins forgiven, life with Jesus, eternal. Know the Father. Get to know God our Father. It's your story. Many of you, this is your story because you became Christians as adults. You're like, man, I, I was not a Christian, then I became one, and I get it. Like, don't forget, don't forget it. It's the gospel that has the power to save. All right, so who, who can be saved then? Who? Who can know God? Verse 22, for the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. What he's saying is the Jews want to see the miracles. And this is, we saw this in, in, in the gospel of John, Jesus is is doing miracles, and they're, they're always looking for signs and wonders. And Jesus says the signs and wonders, the miracles, are to point to him. They're the, 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 sign, the, the goal and point of the, of the feeding the 5,000, where he takes bread and feeds and, and fish, and he feeds 5,000 people, is to show that Jesus is the true bread of life. He's the one who really gives life, eternal life. That's the point. All the miracles that Jesus did were to point back to, to him, that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is God. That's the point of the miracles. He says the Jews, man, they're demanding signs. They want to see the signs. I guess it wasn't enough that Jesus got out of the grave. Big sign, big wonder, but they had a whole cover-up story. They don't believe that it's true. They, they suppressed, again, the truth and unrighteousness, and now they're looking for signs. Think of how fool, like, okay, how foolish that is. Jesus has risen from the dead, shows up, sees a bunch of people, high-five, handshake, eats dinner, has some, some hangout sessions, shows his hands where the nails were to some folks, and he's just around people, thousands of people. And then people are like, no, nah, I can't believe that. That would mean a guy raised from the dead. And he said he would. We can't believe that. No, that's a lie. But now give us signs. Show me. Prove to me. Some miraculous thing that someone could do, and then I'll believe. The dude raised from the dead. You didn't even believe it. If you don't believe in the raw gospel that Jesus died in your place for your sins, has risen victorious from the grave, then no miracle will change your mind. You're hopeless. The greatest miracle of all is that you are a Christian. You were not, and then you became one. That's a miracle. You were dead in your sins, now you're alive in Christ. You were blind, and now you see. Miracle. Miracle. You should be in awe. Like, a miracle. You're like, I don't believe in miracles. So any cessationists in here, y'all need to leave, because it's a miracle. You're saved. You're saved. That's a miracle. You believe in miracles if you're a Christian. You believe in the greatest miracle. Jesus saved you. He could have not, but he did. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so the, the Jews are demanding these signs. They want to see miraculous things. And the Greeks, they, they, want, to see, they want to see, the Greeks are all non-Jews. So that's everyone else. They want to see, uh, they want to see wisdom. They, they seek wisdom. They're like, okay, help me understand how this makes sense. Let me make sense of it. Let me rationalize it. They're the intellectual type. They're the philosophical type. Like, help me understand. And so and you often see this in church now, both through, through all of us, or, or, or Greek or, or 
I guess, uh, Gentiles, non-Christian or non-Jewish. And so we have two camps you usually find in church. You have those who are like, man, I want to go to church. I want to feel a lot of energy. I hope that the music is, you know, so good that I feel the presence and glory of God. If it's not, then maybe the spirit wasn't moving and, you know, uh, uh, man, the song choice better be good. The solos better be, you know, hot. You know, like we better, it better be good because we want to feel something. If they can have some fog machine in there, that'd be really helpful, really good. Usher in the spirit and presence of God. If while the preacher's preaching, we can get a little keys in the background, we can really make the spirit move. Some people like, that's their jam. That's what they want. That's what they're like. That's why I'm coming to church. I want that experience. You can hear it like, I want the experience. Or some churches now are like, we don't do church services, we do experiences. They're attracting all, the, all these, these people who are demanding signs. Cool, that's what they're, they're coming. And then you have the other camp who are like, fog machines, heresy. No way. I believe there will be clouds in the sky, but that's where they stay. We're not into that. To, to play music that people could like? <sighs> Never. How is that helpful to Jesus and his mission? How boring, how stale, how, how just, you know, can we make it? That's the, that's the other group. And we want to hear theological, intellectual. That guy better not make any jokes up there. We are serious. That's the, this is that, that group, crew. You notice, like, we offend both. That's on purpose. <laughs> Jesus was funny. The Greeks, they're just, they're just, we want intellect. That's all we want. And so these can become idols for the people in the church. People are demanded, want experiences, and then people want just, just intellectual accuracy. Here's the reality. You should have a great experience with God. We are pro-experience, and we are pro-theological accuracy. We believe that both of them should collide. That if you're having an experience apart from the, the word of God, then, then you, you don't know what is, what's happening there. What, where is this coming from? But So we want to tether our experience to the word and power of God. And so the Jews are demanding signs. The Greeks are wanting wisdom. Everyone wants an experience. Some people don't want the experience. They just want, you know, give me the raw, uncut, you know, intellectual, philosophical. Let's, let's hear a debate. That's what we want to hear. But he says, but, sorry, we don't do that. We preach Christ. We do it, and it's a stumbling block for the Jews. So all those who are demanding signs, wonders, they trip up when they hear our message. It's like we put a roadblock in the way, and they just get smacked right into it. They're like, that wasn't the church service I was hoping for. Well, then, what about the, the, the Gentiles, the non-Christian, or I mean the non-Jews? Well, y'all just sound like fools. Just it's, it's folly to the next. We don't understand it. This doesn't make sense. So, not that we are after, uh, you know, everyone who wants to, to have an experience. We're not against experience. We're not against knowledge. But, 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 but the gospel, I need you to see this. What Paul's saying is that the gospel is kind of a bad strategy for consumerism. It's like a bad strategy for consumerism. It's like when people are coming around, we want this, we want signs, we want wonders, give us that, and we'll come to your church. Or, no, we want, 
really uh, uh, wisdom. We want eloquence. We want that. We'll come to your church. Like, and, and the Corinthians are like, man, we're, we're 50 to 80 people. We're starting a church. We're, God's moving. We, we've all got saved. Like, how do we organize? How do we, how do we move forward in this new church? And some of them are like, no, we should have like the light show. And some of them are like, no, we should not have that. Cause, uh, and they're just arguing and fighting. We've talked about the, the previous weeks. They have teams. They have, they have Team Paul shirts, and they have Team Apollo shirts, and they're just divided. And Paul's coming in and saying the gospel intersects in the, it, it, through your, your division and unites you. But what it does is it also divides you and makes the Jews, uh, there's a stumbling block for them. And to the Gentiles, it becomes your, your whole church service becomes foolishness to them. Because the point is Jesus. Its point is the power of God. It's attractive when God saves but it doesn't fit in line with modern consumerism. He says, verse 24, but to those who are called. So he's like, to those who come to your church, and whether they're from Jewish background or Gentile background, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, who can, be, who can know God? Who can know God? All people, both Jews and Greeks. Paul, the writer of the book, Jewish, became a Christian. Many of the Corinthians, Greek, Gentiles, now Christians. All people, all people can come to faith, but they got to come through one way, through one man, Jesus. Jesus is the way in. It's not signs and wonders, and it's not just intellect and worldly wisdom. Salvation is offered it's forgiveness of sins is offered, adoption into the whole family. Being made whole and cleansed. That's the first step of salvation. Jesus offers that to you. But also, he offers you a relationship with him. To, to know God. You can literally know God. And in doing so, the text says, Jesus becomes the power and wisdom of God to you. He says that. But to those who are called... Those who Jesus saves, both Jews and Greeks, no matter your background, your upbringing, what you got into, the sin you committed, where you're at, no matter who you are, Christ is now the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, the Jews wanted miracles. Just think about the people who just want the experience. The greatest miracle they, they got, and they get it. The, the, the folks that he's talking to, they get it. They, they see the greatest miracle was that they were not Christians, now they're Christians. And so if you, they, if, for those who are chasing the experience and not chasing Jesus, I need you to see this. If you're chasing an experience and you're not chasing Jesus, eventually Jesus and his salvation will not be enough for you. And Jesus will become a stumbling block for you. I'm not against experiences. We are not against experiences. We want, to, we want Christians to have the greatest experience because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we have the word of God that, that, that binds and reigns and rules in our hearts and minds and we've been saved, meaning we were dead and now alive. We have the greatest experience alive. We should rejoice in that. We should celebrate that all the time. But here's the deal. If you are chasing an experience but you're not chasing Jesus, just go to some concert. Just go to the concert. Chase the experience there. I hear Coldplay's pretty cool in concert. Really cool light show, really cool stuff. Not in the lights, don't go, but hey, really cool experience. I hear Michael Jackson, when he was playing, like people were like, man, this was like, this was worshipful, people said. 
Bob Marley, have you ever seen some of his? And he's not alive either, but you know, you ever seen some, some of the, the crowd and some of his, his concert experiences, spiritual experience? People love it. That's what it looks like to want an experience, not Jesus. Okay, no, you're not the artist. Uh, go to a sports game. Get, wear your jersey. Get the team. Your team scores. You know, people are high-fiving. Guys are crying. They're emotional. You're like, wow, this is great. This is an experience without Jesus. You can have all the emotions you want. Am I against sports teams? Am I against concerts? No. Am I against getting really excited when you go to those games? No. What I'm saying is this is what it looks like. I don't understand why. This is foolishness. If you're going to chase an experience without Jesus, stop coming to church. You're like, did the pastor tell me to stop coming to church? Well, for that reason, yes. Come to church to see Jesus, to meet Jesus, to hear about Jesus, to be around Jesus' people, to sing songs to Jesus, to remember Jesus, to glory in Jesus, the power of God for salvation for those who believe. That's why we're going. That's why we're coming. That's why we're here. That is the miracle. The greatest miracle of the Bible is that God saved you and then wrote a book to tell you about it. That's really awesome. Some of you get birthday cards. Jesus gave you a book after he saved you. Read about it, which gets us into wisdom. Jesus becomes the wisdom of God for us. The wisdom of God. And so this is, he is the wisdom. He, he renews our mind. His spirit is in us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we get a new mind in Christ. He renews our mind. And we can worship Jesus. So we should study. We should read books. We should read footnotes. We should read commentaries. We should do all those things. But we should study and seek Jesus in his word and learn about him. Nerd out. Do the whole thing. We should do it. But for the purpose of knowing Christ. If you're studying the Bible, you're reading all the footnotes, you're knowing all these things just so you can win an argument, fool. If you're doing all these things just so you can look better than other people, fool. Because you'll meet someone who's who's better than you and you'll look like a fool. Uh, If if you are chasing wisdom, chasing learning, and and not chasing Jesus, eventually your study of the gospel, uh, as you study, the gospel will become folly to you, like the Greeks. I'm pro-experience, pro-study. But what meets in the middle? Jesus. I'm more pro-Jesus. Pursue Jesus with your experiences. Pursue Jesus with your study. Verse 25, it says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's saying, do things God's way. It's always wiser, always more powerful to do things God's way. God's ways over the world's ways all the time. Whether you're an individual in your home, in your own personal life, or you're married, you have a family, do things God's way as a single man, as a single woman, as a, as a married man, as a married woman, as a, as a mother, as a father. Do things God's way always. In your job, in your work, where you live, wherever you're at, do things God's way the first time always. It always works out better for you. For the wisdom, for the foolishness of God is always wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. So that means when you you read verses, you're like, man, that seems like God's trying to take away my pleasure here. Seems like God doesn't really want me to be happy here. So I'm just going to disobey God and his word here because I know my ways are better. Just remember this verse, you're a fool. You are. It's Adam and Eve. They're like, God says, hey, don't eat from the tree. All right. What happens when you do? You die. We'll take that into consideration. Let's eat of the tree. 
Like, what are you thinking? This is what sin does. It makes you crazy. It makes you a fool. And we have not been called to be fools in rejecting God's word, will, and ways, but we've been called to be fools for Christ. Crazy for Christ's sake. He says it this way in verse 26. Fools for Christ. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That means like not many of you, like you had a great background. Some of you had real bad sin problems. Some of you were uh, full of shame. Some of you went, or had the wrong family. Some of you, you know, went to, grew up in that part of the city. Some of you had this type of background. Not many of you, like you, you feel like you should make the team. You look around, you're like, man, how did we get on this team? That's how you should feel as a, as a Christian. How did God get us? See, you're not like God's, you know, need for the team. You should be like, wow, how did I make on the team? Like, I got drafted onto this team. I'm, I, didn't, I don't deserve it. Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may, might boast in the presence of God. What was your background? Rebellious, religious, self-righteous, where were you? Jesus saved you. Despite that, he saw to it to overlook your sin, your pride, your folly, your rebellion, your sin, your shame, and then to, to, to die for you, to adopt you into his family. He, he, he's rescued you. He's redeemed you. Just consider where you came from. How did you get where you're at? Do you ever do that? Stop and go, man, how did I get where I'm at? If, you're, if your conclusion is, man I, I, man, I remember I started doing some things here. Some things here, according to the, and, and I got myself to where I'm at, and I'm pretty good, because if I wouldn't have done those things, no. If that's you, repent today. You're where you're at because God got you here. He rescued you, even in your, even in your job, even with your relationships, with your spouse, your family. You are where you're at because God loved you so much that he rescued you, and he's been walking with you faithfully. Even when you were rebelling against him, he was chasing after you, orchestrating things in such a way that you would believe. Now he has you. And so what this means is that, that, that you, you can't boast in your own wisdom. You can't boast in your own self-righteousness. You can only boast in Christ. Like verse 29 says, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And you get into the presence of God, you're like, God, I'm really good. That's how I got here. Really smart, that's how I got here. He's like, I don't deserve to be here. I can't boast. I, I have to boast in you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 15 says it this way, fools for Christ. Uh, for if we are beside ourselves, this is the same author, Paul, writing to the, the Corinthians also in, a, in another letter. He says, if we are beside ourselves or out of our minds, if we're crazy, it is for God. Ever been there? You share the gospel with me. These guys are crazy. Yeah, well, that's not for you. That's for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. This is the conclusion. How does the love of Christ control us? This is what you should be thinking. All right, how does the love of Christ control us? Some, through some weird thing going on? No, it says it this way. That, this, we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore, all have died. And if he died for all, that those who might live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The gospel. They believed the gospel. And it compelled them. It controlled them. They concluded that God was right. They agreed. They, they had faith. They believed. And they're like, we might sound out of our mind. 
And if you think we sound crazy, if you think we sound foolish, if you think that we're weirdos, if you think we're nut jobs, if you think that, hey, it's okay, it's for God. We're being loyal to God, we're honoring God, we're, we're obeying God, and so I don't care what you, t- what you say about me on YouTube, I don't care what you write about in the comments section, I really don't care if you make posts about me. I saw someone, a friend of mine recently, he's not a Christian, wrote a post about his, his, his family member who is a Christian, he's praying for him, he's like trying to like dog him, dog his family member for praying for him, and he's like, ah, oh, Christians are so weird, they pray, and they all, like, don't pray for me. Who cares? If I'm out of my mind, it's for Christ's sake. But if I'm on my right mind, meaning this is making sense to you, that means that God is transforming you. That means he's opening your blind eyes and you're seeing. And that's for you. For the love of Christ controls me, Paul says. Are you controlled? Are you compelled by Christ and the gospel? Or are you more controlled about what people think? Ask yourself this. What are you more controlled about? Who controls you more? Jesus in his word, will, and ways are what other people think. More now than ever, I, th- I see it in Christians. We're so afraid of being called, like, legit. Like, oh, man, you really believe that, that Bible stuff? Like, you really believe in absolute truth? You really believe God spoke? You be- really believe that the whole book? You be- really believe in truth? You be- really believe that you know, Jesus was God? Do you really believe that, you know, gender is binary? Don't even you looked at the dictionary? Male and female, we've changed it. We've evolved. And you're, you're, you're reading that, that old book, thousands of years old. You still believe that stuff? How archaic are you? How narrow-minded are you? How unwise are you? How many of you, like that's, you're you're really afraid of people saying those things. Those are real things that real people say often and frequently to Christians. Now, how many of you, however, if you're a sports fan, don't care what other people think about you when you cheer for your team? I don't know the score, but I don't think Eagles fans care right now. I don't know the score, but I don't, I'm just saying that that's a football team that's playing right now, whatever. Uh, like the, the Eagles fans don't care that they live in San Antonio and that everyone's a Cowboys fan. They don't care. They don't care about your Facebook posts. They don't care about, I was at the Spurs game last night, and the Spurs, it was a great uh, game. They lost in overtime, and there was this like a Phoenix Suns fan, and he was just sitting, he was almost courtside, and he was being kind of a not, he was, you know, he was cheering for his team, like when, 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 when they would score, like he's yelling, and all the Spurs fans are quiet, and like people are like, yelling at, they're like, you know, dogging him and, you know, making fun of him, and I'm like, dude, they're winning. He doesn't care. And even if they lose, he's not going, oh, man, we lost. Take off his jersey. Give me a Spurs jersey. Like, he does not care. He does not care. What about for you? What movie do you like? What TV show do you like that everyone makes fun of you about? You're like, I know it's a kind of cheesy movie. It's a kind of cheesy show, but I love it. Or what kind of diet or fat are you on? You know, January's coming to an end. You know, like, what, what, you know, what were you, how did you start the year? Like, carnivore, vegan, whatever. What were you? Like, you don't care what other people think. Because you're convinced that it works, or you're convinced that you like the movie, or you're convinced that you love the team. You are convinced. When you are convinced, you don't care. How come so many Christians care about what people think about them? It's because I believe they're not convinced. They're not convinced. 
They're willing to say it in front of Christians. They're willing to propose it to non-Christians at a distance. But they're afraid to be controlled and compelled by the gospel in such a way that they might be found out to be fools to a lost and dying world. And Paul says, hey, those who think you're foolish, guess what? They're perishing. Why are you consulting the dead on how to live? Why do you care what the dead people think about how you live when Jesus is alive? Consult the living, not the dead. We look around at the world. Hey, I, I, my timer went off, so I'm, I, I'm free-flowing now. I don't know where we're at. It said time check a while back. I looked. It's not there, so sorry. I might be going really long, so oh, I, I went off script a little bit. So anyway, back to where we were. Be fools for Christ. Be fools for Christ. Fools for Christ. Don't care what people think. Be so convinced of Jesus and the gospel that you're compelled and controlled. How, how does that happen? You're like, how, how does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. Here's how it happens. It's that you actually think, live as if the gospel is the most powerful thing to you. Meaning that you have to take time in your day to stop and think, like time to slow down, to let those thoughts roll into your head. The things that you're ashamed of come to mind. The way you acted at work and you're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of that. Or the way you, you talked with your spouse or disciplined your kid or what you thought in secret. You, you actually have time and space to allow the weight of those thoughts to be felt you, you actually, you don't, you, don't, you don't live in such a way where you're just so entertained to death that you don't get to slow down and pause and think about how much you need the gospel, how much you need Jesus. You're, you're anxious, you're going into work. Do you, in that moment when you feel, you're feeling that anxiety, is that a moment where you get to plead with Christ to, to do what Philippians 4, 8 says? Do you, do you exchange your thoughts? Do you make war? Do you do, you, do, you do that? Are you reminded of what is true in that moment? You're walking in and you're going, man, I feel shame. I feel guilt for something I've done or something I said. Now I've got to face the person. Do you, do you call to mind and therefore have hope? Do, do, you, do you remember the mercies and grace of God every day? I'm quoting scriptures. If you don't know that, that's what I'm doing in this moment. This is what, the, the word of God was given to us so that it would bind our hearts and minds that we walk in it every day of our life because we need it every day of our life. So Philippians 4 you, and 8, you, you go, what is true in this situation? You're reminded of your sin. What is true? Well, I, I just, I did that thing. You're right, you did. I just feel guilty and shame. Well, what is also true? That Jesus took your guilt and took your shame. In doing so, if you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ ten times more than you look at anything else, particularly your sin, you become more and more and more and more in awe. And you're compelled. You're like, people don't know this. i got to take it to them. i got to share it with them. Notice he doesn't, he says what controls us is that they are convinced in the gospel. He's not Going, man, I'm, you know, God, gospel got me into church, and now, I, now that I'm at church, you know, I got to learn all this special stuff, and I get to tell these people this special stuff, and that's what's controlling me now. I got to, uh, the gospel got me into Jesus and his church, and now, 
the music, the experience. And I want to win people to the experience. They could just have this experience. This is modern evangelism. Come to my church for this experience. Come to my church for this great teaching. Come to my, ch- come to my church for Jesus. If that's your heart cry, then may it be your life as well. That your life is centered around Jesus. You're in awe of him. And you're willing to be a fool for him. If people think you're crazy, cool. I'm not going to shut up until you believe. And even then, we're going to then talk more. That's Christianity. So end with this. Jesus is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, it says this. Because of him, that's God, you are in Christ. If you're a Christian, it's because of God. Not because of you. Not because of your parents. Not because of the person who shared the gospel with you. Not because of anything. Not because of your schooling. Not because of your upbringing. Not because of the preacher. Because of God. They got to use all those things? Probably. Definitely. But that's not, this is what it means. Like, God did it. If you are a Christian, credit goes to God. I praise God if, you know, if, you know, someone comes to faith through my preaching, which has happened, praise God. But really, it's not me. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is it. Jesus is. He's come to us, and he has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. What this means Right now, I want to share what this means right now for us to believe. And if you're in here and you're on the fence, you don't, haven't believed yet, I need you to see this is what Jesus has accomplished for you. Through faith, it can be yours. Excuse me. Jesus, this is what has happened. Jesus is God's wisdom, meaning he submitted to God's word, will, and ways completely. He is the epitome of God's wisdom, but he bound himself to flesh and bones in our place. To, to live a life in our place according to God's word, will, and ways perfectly. He perfectly, sinlessly submits to the wisdom of God for you. That's why Jesus was perfect and sinless for you. And then, what did he do? He then dies in your place for your sin. He becomes sin. He who knew no sin becomes sin. That we might become the righteousness of God, which is the second one, wisdom and righteousness. Jesus becomes your righteousness. So there's not good Christians. I need you to understand this, but there is a good Savior. Jesus has, has, has atoned for your sins. He has forgiven you. He has, uh, he, he has exchanged himself for you. He has taken your unrighteousness, bore it on his body, was brutally beaten and hung on the tree, died in your place for your sins so that you would not have to experience the wrath of God. So that through faith in him, he takes your imperfection and then he gives you his righteous perfection. If you're a Christian right now, you're righteous, declared and imputed. This is great. Declared meaning God says righteous. Imputed means he says, I'm going to put it in your bank account too. Righteous. Then he's our sanctification, which means not only did Jesus put his righteousness in our account, but he also put his spirit in us. 
to sanctify us, to cleanse us. The Holy Spirit is in you to transform you, to renew your mind, to make you like Jesus. That's the point of sanctification, to make you like Jesus. It's Jesus' job. He says it, that he who began a good work, that is Jesus, will complete it before he returns. Jesus is at, at work making you more like him. Meaning this, anyone can come to Christ. Come as you are to Jesus, but Jesus will never keep you as you are. He will transform you. He will make you into his image. He will make you more like him. Lastly, Jesus is our redemption. Meaning this, no matter what you've done, what you're ashamed of, what you're enslaved to, in Christ, you've been bought back. You can remember your sins. You can remember your shame. You can remember your addictions. You can remember your shortcomings. But remember them as one who's been brought back, who's been adopted, who's a son or a daughter of God. Jesus adopts you, he brings you in, and then he says, all right, it's time to work. It's time to work through that whole life of hurt. Let's let's work through the life of pain you've experienced. Let's work through the life of rebellion. But you're going to do so as a son or daughter. I don't want to keep you the same. I want to change and transform you, but it comes at a price. I've redeemed you. I've bought you back. I bought you. You are mine. You are loved. You are sealed. Now let's get to work. Let me help you. Let me close with this. Close with this. Verse 31. So that, Jesus is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to respond. We're going to respond by boasting in the Lord. We're going to do so by remembering the, the work of Jesus on the cross. Dying in our place for our sins as we take communion. Additionally, we're going to sing like we've been redeemed. We're going to sing like we've been bought back. We're going to sing like we're the king's kids. And then we're going to go. And we're going to live our lives like Christ has called us to, compelled and controlled by him. And if we're a fool, let's be fools for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Jesus bless us, and to that end, may we be men and women who are more, more satisfied in you than anything else, love you more than anything else, marvel in the gospel more than anything else. If people think we're fools, praise God. If they think we're in our right mind, praise God. May we be, may we be controlled and compelled by the, by the cross of Christ. May we not water it down. May we not empty it. May we use our mind, our brain, our study to, to know you, Jesus, more. And may we seek you, Jesus, through our experiences. So as we experience things that, that well up in great emotions, whether it be in church, in song, or in groups, or in prayer, or, or in, in, in a, at, a, at, a, at a sports game, or at a concert where we just feel overwhelmed with, with emotion and joy, and we're like, man, this is awesome. Whether we're eating good food and we're tasting, or man, this is, this is awesome. May, may we in all these things give you the glory, do your name. May we not be Christians who walk around and don't have great experiences. May we have great experiences, but may we give credit to the great Savior. His name's Jesus. We love you. Amen.